I'm Isabeau. I'm Morgan. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. Bodice busters. Graphic novels. Graphic descriptions of sex. Visual descriptions of sex. Murder. Tarot cards. Lordlings. Yet again. Kind of sexy priest. Yeah, we are finding those. <laughs> Ireland. For once. <laughs> uh, but mostly this is a podcast about that first thing. Romance novels and ourselves. Most critically. This week we are doing something a little bit different. We got to preview a graphic novel series called Wild Rose by Nicole Solenwhite. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I hope so too. One of the cool things about this particular project is that it's this young woman who's done a Kickstarter. She's doing it herself with her friends. She's fairly well known in Canada. She's won some awards. And if you like what we're talking about and you're interested, throw some money her way so we can support other feminists doing cool artwork and writing stories we all want to hear. It's like a Kickstarter, right? Yep. The first one was completely funded, which is why the first issue came out. Last week, she was looking for the rest of the funds for issue two. Uh-huh. Which we got to read the script for. We did. She's planned six issues with a potentiality for many more. So if you like boat journeys, you might want to fund this Kickstarter. (laughs) If you like read the first issue and you're like, more boats, (laughs) put your money where your buoy is. (laughs) Nice. Those are really, really good shit puns. Anyway, since this came to us unsolicited, which BT dubs we love, please send us stuff that you want yeah, to hear. Yeah, quit making us ask for it. Yeah. Just give it to Just us. Just give it to us. Who, who should do the, the brief synopsis? I think you should. Okay. So lay the scene. It's a graphic novel. We've got two young women talking at one another. Eliza, our heroine, is like, be my friend and don't tell my parents. I'm going to run away and meet up with the lordling. And her friend is like, that's going to be really bad for you. But it's an English lordling. In Ireland in 1790. Yeah, she's Irish. Maybe we should do it together. (laughs) That's a really good point. She doesn't want her friend to tell her parents because her dad's an abusive drunk. Mm -hmm. Offensive stereotypes much. (laughs) Uh, Not only is he an abusive and mean drunk, he's also super Catholic. Super Catholic, (laughs) as most everyone was in 1790 in Ireland. So we already have class issues. We already have issues of gender. We already have issues of religion. Lo and behold, she sneaks out that night to meet her lover, who's not quite her lover yet. The town's been talking about it. It's very much Shania Twain. Let's give him something to talk about. That's not Shania Twain. Who is it? That is Bruce Springsteen's ex-wife, Bonnie Raitt. Let's give him something to talk about. Is Bonnie Raitt? I think so. Oh my God, I feel so ignorant. You look so ignorant. <laughs> I wear it on my face. Someone is screaming at the podcast, <laughs> like checking, why don't I John right now? <laughs> Off topic. Shania Twain did Whose Bed Have Your Boots Been Under. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. So good. Ugh. Anyway. This lordling's boots have been under a lot of beds. Which is part of the next panel. She's like, oh, he's a good guy. You don't know him Mm -hmm. to her friend and to her family. And then in the very next panel, which was a bit of a really good visual jar, he's grabbing ass at the local tavern. Yeah. With his fellow lordling, who is also a little shit. Mm. And they're both like, oh, I hate this country. (laughs) 
they do like basically exactly say that. Yeah. Do you think she sent us this graphic novel because of the things I've said in the past about the English and how there aren't enough Irish romance novels? Do you think that's why she reached out to us? One of the things that was really telling about this particular graphic romance novel was I was immediately on the side of the English lordling because everybody was so against him. And then like in the immediate (laughs) turn of the end of this issue, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I think it's interesting that she's kind of presenting it as a romance novel because normally in a romance novel, the first male you meet is your hero. Mm -hmm. And according to the sources Mm -hmm. that we have, the hero isn't going to show up for a while. Yes. Not until the third issue. Yeah, not until the third issue. Which is kind of a long time to wait in a six issue release for the true halfway through yeah story that's really interesting I want to know so there is a love scene mm-hmm. in the first issue mm-hmm. and the first issue is like Isabeau said totally completed so we see the images and everything mm-hmm. whereas with the script we just read descriptions of the illustrations we see a sex scene mm-hmm. and I was curious what you thought about how the illustrator chose to depict the sex scene I was actually just talking about this the other night with a friend of mine, I was telling her about this project and she's like, oh, it seems like such a natural move for romance novels to maneuver into graphic novels because it's not pornography. There's something in the space between because the sex scenes are conversations. Mm -hmm. And so like how natural for a sex scene to happen in panels because there's so much happening in the unspoken of a sex scene. And so for the sex scene itself, it felt not only super erotic, but also like soft. The colors changed entirely we'd been mostly in blues and golds and then we moved immediately into a bright red which felt murderous yeah because red in graphic novels often depicts murder and not passion pink is much more passiony right or like lavenders like yeah. red is usually death yeah which you know death is much more the realm of graphic novels in general than I think sex I mean I think that's changing though like I think one of the cool things about graphic novels now like one of my absolute favorites to come out over the last couple of years has been the saga series mm-hmm. and that's like a beautiful romance sci-fi. I feel like the art depicting the sex scene was pretty literal and Mm -hmm. I think that was a missed opportunity because Mm -hmm. if you think about Saga it allows for like interesting things to happen Mm -hmm. visually but you know it was weird I was thinking like why don't I why am I disappointed by this because it's very literal like there is no kind of poetry or anything and we've talked about how that's a problem in written novelized Mm -hmm. sex scenes right if someone says an orgasm is like a holocaust of emotion Mm -hmm. that means nothing Mm -hmm. but I think once we get into the visual medium as a different language than like a filmic or a cinematic language where it's like I know what sex looks like Mm -hmm. I think it'd be much more interesting to try to visually describe what it feels like I just wish it was more like psychedelic or creative and its depiction of the sensation of sex I think you're right it's a little on the nose but like one of the things that felt like discordant about that sex scene is like certainly at the beginning of it she doesn't want to be a willing participant there's like this whole thing what we're about to do is sinful the way in which her dress falls off is at odds with the things that she's saying and Mm -hmm. the way in which they're both unclothed is totally at odds with all of the things that she's saying so like that part of the sex scene felt really discordant and then like the sex scene itself I think you're right it's like super cinematic there's like the shot of her clavicle up and like Mm -hmm. this sort of like oh and then we immediately have no postcoital snuggle and she's like so name the date for the wedding when are we gonna read the bands and like that shift from 
red passion panel to blue reality that we're living in yeah. was also maybe too fast for a medium that you see entirely. Yeah. I wonder when I had this initial criticism, I was like, well, maybe I'm asking for too much. And like, we always talk about how it's better to keep it pretty corporeal and pretty literal in sex scenes. I think about graphic novels like Sex Criminals mm-hmm. or Saga mm-hmm. that have really interesting ways of depicting sex and sexuality that are different from film and that utilize their tools in different ways and are therefore more interesting. And I think more sexier. Yeah. More sexier. I think they're more sexy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things are working against the sexiness of this scene, not the least of which is her unwillingness and the fact that it's taking place at night and we already know he's a bad dude. Yeah, but we also don't get her internalization. Mm-hmm. So like, is it unwillingness or is it performative? Not to say that that's, I don't know how I'm supposed to understand it. I think that's a really good point. And that's what I was talking about when I was discordant. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have the internality, which again is another kind of like missed opportunity for this graphic novel. Yeah. Because like a graphic novel can certainly use all sorts of interesting things to depict an internal idea. And does in just the scene before when we meet the witch who's like, don't run into the arms of this false. Romeo, he's going to be bad for you. And then we see immediately a panel of a bad tarot reading that yeah. has the Tower, Death, and the Five of Pentacles. And if you guys know anything about tarot, it also has the Ten of Swords, which not a great reading for our dear friend Eliza Day. But the witch didn't do the reading for her in that moment. She's just like, I did a reading earlier today and like, yeah. don't go. But it was still like more visually interesting than yeah. like the witch flipping over each card and us seeing it as we would in a movie. Totally. It wasn't even the cards on a table. So I do know that there's capacity for this kind of more interesting use of the medium. Mm-hmm. Although I will say they're obviously doing interesting twists on the genre yeah. by our hero not showing up in the beginning and all that good stuff. And also that he's immediately presented as like our non-hero and sort of uh, like you put your eggs in the wrong basket. Do you do you feel comfortable uh, giving away the end of the first issue? Since it's the only one out, I feel bad. Okay, I won't. There was a surprise. The thing about this graphic novel novel that I think will ultimately make it A, a romance for me and I guess we always talk about the end of books we do she gets stabbed by the guy she was sleeping with because she threatens to tell everyone that they slept together and possibly made a child he came inside of her without talking about it with her first Mm -hmm. real dick move and uh, he stabs her for threatening him and it's awful like he leaves her on the side of the river stabbed in the gut and the thing that he says to her after he stabs her in the gut with his knife is there won't be a baby now Mm -hmm. and I was like phew bad dude that is very romance novel like to be like the worst kind of bad dude he's the worst kind of bad dude first of all though the content plan is super ambitious yeah bonkers ambitious even there's gonna be a lot happening in this there's a lot of different historical moments and issues of inequality at play I don't know how the hero is going to end up in the setting with the heroine or does the heroine end up in the setting with the hero well if you okay broad strokes The witch saves Eliza from bleeding to death. But then we find out in the next issue, she wakes up in the witch's home the cottage and we find out that it wasn't the witch that dragged her from the riverbank it was actually Father O'Brien Father O'Brien who not only who 
Eliza is very surprised, knows the witch at all, but is also carrying on a very intimate and clandestine relationship with Ellen early, the witch. And then Eliza denounces them both for hypocrisy and goes to London, where she ends up in a brothel, uh, just as a laundress, not as a sex worker. And that's where she meets our hero, who is a freed black man. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's she a also l- ends up in Bedlam at some point. It's just a lot of research. I wish Nicole well. Yeah. As she works on this project because it is very ambitious. I'm going to be shocked if it's just six issues. I hope they like start to really play with their medium and get weird with it. Yeah. And like the other part of this is that really lends itself to a weirdness that we haven't seen because it's been quite literal thus far is that this whole thing is coming from an Irish legend and a murder Oh, song. a really popular murder ballad. Yeah. yeah. So So the idea that you could have a mix now of mediums between murder ballad and like what is essentially a fictitious true narrative, like we could move a lot with song here. There's so much academic work done on murder ballads. Dude, I love murder ballads. I think like maybe murder ballads for a while were considered an easy way to talk about murder. Yeah, the titillation of murder, I guess. Yeah, and also like the lasting impact of sensorial titillation, but also like the kinds of things like Barbara Allen isn't a murder ballad it's just a ballad ballad but you have two pretty intense death scenes in it and I think the way in which like people love love and death I read a book recently that involves Barbara Allen mm, it's a wonderful ballad yeah I it's what the it. g- the gay couple in um best in show sing to their shit at night <laughs> that's right oh my god I like all the versions of it, but I also like Colin Malloy from the Decemberist version of Barbara Allen. It's a sad song. But yeah, this is based on not exactly a murder ballad deep cut. The mm-hmm. the one that most people, I think, access and is like typical murder ballad. It's about a guy beating his girlfriend to death while she begs for mercy, yep. um, which, you know, I didn't really see. I mean, he does stab her by He's, the side. He stabs her. It's not very much. I guess they're by a river. But other than that, I didn't see it and then immediately think of that particular song. Neither did I. It also seemed like her influence, her specific reference to Nick Cave. I just wish this was like more like darker and weirder. I think, you know, if you have those influences and you have this medium in this genre, yeah. like all of those intersections are crying out for something kind of kooky. Totally. You already have a witch who's fucking a super awesome priest who's like very progressive for his day. Yeah. Like secret societies are another cornerstone yes. of this. I hope the first issue is just kind of setting the scene. I agree. I hope it gets real weird. What was the sexiest part for you? I found the sex scene in and of itself like perfectly sexy but I think really there's one particular image where the witch has given her dire warning yeah and then Eliza's like whatever bitch (laughs) and the the panel switches between their faces Uh and like the love and care on both of the faces one of like not dire warning but like you're gonna be sorry and that makes me sorry for you and Eliza's face of like bah I thought that was super like awesome Erotic? Sure. I like women's faces. And you're always like, it expressed love and care and independence. That was the sexiest part for me. It's such a fucking bummer. It's such a fucking bummer. I'm sorry that I was loved. That is not it. You know that was not it. That is not the reason. 
I was gonna say I really like the heaving bosom pastoral uh, vibe mm-hmm. of uh, especially the opening panel it's very Ooh. evocative of that painting of the woman who's kind of by herself in the field reaching out who did that I don't know are you talking about Lark song at yeah that one but kind of like a sexier one they've all got really big cleavages they do have heaving bosoms and they also are kind of wearing those like cotton dresses Mm -hmm. and all of that interesting fashion and they're like surrounded by heather Mm -hmm. and and rye and all those i think the opening panels for me were uh, the most beautiful and the most evocative of that idea of like Mm -hmm. creating a sensorial experience Mm -hmm. with i also thought they were the sexiest weirdest part you know honest to god the weirdest part for me was the tarot because the reading in and of itself and the witch should know this it's like not a terrible reading like most of those cards are evocative of change not of death itself so then for her to be like this is gonna be terrible for you I was like well if you're a better reader you would know it's really just a pretty intense and terrible change I am kind of irritated by that being an issue like not that that's an issue for you Mm -hmm. I just think oftentimes like these old time religions Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) have you seen um, the it's not Mr. Show. Is it Mr. Show? Sketch where the guy's like, call me old fashioned, but I don't believe there's one true God and he lives in the bottom of that lake. <laughs> and then there'd be another one where he'd be like, call me old fashioned, but I'm scared of fire. <laughs> Once we have a website, we'll link to those. But I think like those old time religions, it kind of dealt with a complexity of life mm-hmm. that gets censored and oversimplified um, because of Christian missionaries who didn't understand them. And I think there is also, whenever we talk about something like witchcraft or any kind of Wiccan religion or moon-based religion, mm-hmm. it's obviously a censorship of femininity, yes. which is, uh, anyways, larger issues. Yeah, and one that I was surprised wasn't dealt with a little bit more, especially since we have this abusive father who locks her in her room. She escapes to go meet ostensibly her one true love. And then you have a powerful woman who has an owl familiar block her path yeah and then gives her this dire warning when she's like nah I'm good I was like there was things here that like could have been excavated more yeah both in like the panels themselves and also in like the absence of interiority like yeah. there could have been more there too and I feel like maybe that could be resolved by the tarot cards playing a more spread out mm. role. Like if we just see like one scary tarot card and then the stabbing happens or something. Yeah. And then we see another tarot card that we're like, oh, maybe death isn't. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. And like, that's the thing about the tarot, especially like their orientation to you as you're being read. None of her cards were in the contrary position, which is also important. None of her cards, like, I don't know. There was like, there could have been more there as like a key to open into something. And when I saw them, I was like, this reading could have been deeper though <laughs> yeah and and you're by the way a hobbyist yeah tarot <laughs> and you already are like you don't have to know a lot yeah so I want to see more tarot cards I want to see where this goes I'm certainly going to kick Nicole a few bucks I think yeah. it's important to support other ways of telling stories and I think like this is a medium that could really serve romance yeah absolutely it makes perfect sense once you hear it I just hope you know the weirdest part for me was the lack of weirdness yeah and I just I hope they uh, knuckle up more on that. And I will also
also be kicking <laughs> some cash Nicole's way because I want to see the second issue, how it comes about. I want to see the third. I yeah. want to see the fourth. I want to see the fifth. I want to see the sixth. I definitely super duper want to see the fifth and sixth based yeah. on the synopsis. Yeah. We've got incest, guys. We've got all sorts of shit is oh about man. to hit the fan. Totally. Bedlam, like the actual place. So uh, if you feel like we do, be sure to throw Nicole and Wild Rose some money. We'll be linking in Twitter and Instagram yeah. to the Kickstarter. And uh, we wish Nicole all the best in her future endeavors. Good luck, Nicole. Mwah. Mwah. Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more romance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week. <laughs>